Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter. This is an exciting time as the newsletter has been completely overhauled and the redesign was just recently rolled out. So be sure that you're on the list so you can see the brand new look of that, as well as, of course, all the content published in there every Wednesday. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from northwest of Los Angeles, my guest is a music business entrepreneur, producer, engineer, multi-instrumentalist, performer, and educator. He is the founder of the record label Underground Sun and co-founder of Underground Soul record label. He writes, produces, and engineers music for a wide range of artists across numerous genres, with his music having been heard in primetime TV shows, multi-million dollar movies, and advertisements for Fortune 500 companies. He also hosts a monthly music-based live stream variety show and docu-series and a web series about music production and music business. He is the author of Producing in the Home Studio with Pro Tools, the first book about using Pro Tools, and has written other books, articles, and online courses for Berkeley Online and now LinkedIn Learning about Pro Tools and music production. His passion for music and education has led him to become the content manager for audio and music for lynda.com and LinkedIn. Releasing his first solo album later this year, you've been hearing a song of his called Silver Arrow Sunday. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, David Franz. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to have you on the show. Unofficially, that might have been the longest guest intro in the more than seven years of this show. Wow. David, I thought I was a busy guy. You've got a lot going on. Before we dive into that whole list of projects you're involved in, let's have you talk first, though, about the song of yours that was just playing called Silver Arrow Sunday. Sure. Yeah, that song is, uh, well, it's it's one of a few that, you know, this for my upcoming record um, was written, you know, partially about a breakup, um, but also about sort of the the temptation of, of seeing, you know, something that's a different option than what you've been living with, um, whether it's a, in a relationship or a job or a something that you're maybe not happy with um, and kind of seeing it right there in front of you and, and realizing that you need to make a change. Mm. And so I've been inspired so much um, during this this time to to make a lot of changes in life. Um, I think a lot of us are in that with the pandemic and everything. And um, also part of that is the the desert spirit that I I've tapped into on this song and and in a number of my other songs where I feel like the desert breeze when I go out into places like Joshua tree helps clear away some of the things so that I can see, uh, alternatives and to be able to make changes that way. So that's where the song is coming from. 
That's an interesting description because it makes me picture in my head a songwriter going out into a place like you described and saying, okay, this is where I need to clear my head. This is where I need to get inspiration. This is where I know I'm going to find some ideas. But to take it back to Silver Arrow Sunday, it's sort of a be careful what you wish for because it may open your eyes to something that was shiny and distracting and saying, hmm, I think I need to make a decision here. And all of a sudden, as a songwriter, you're going, oh, boy, wow, look at what I've stumbled upon here. This is <laughs> this is a little heavier than I kind of thought when coming out to a peaceful place like this. Indeed, indeed. And, and you know, that Silver Arrow could be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but recognizing what it, what it actually means, you know, whether you follow where that arrow points you, uh, you know, it could be in a good direction or a bad direction. But if you're, if you're aware of that, a change needs to happen, then, um, if you can kind of sit with that and figure out where you want to go with it, that's kind of the big lesson in that song. Okay. That brings up a really interesting point though. As a songwriter, you come up with that idea, and then you say what you just said. Well, it could be a good change, it could be a bad change, and so right there, you're stopped in your tracks as a songwriter, and you say, so which way am I going with this? And I think it goes to the core of who the songwriter is as a person. Is it someone who looks at the glasses half full or half empty? And then where I'm going with this is you decide, is this going to be a ballad, or is it going to be something upbeat? What kind of melody am I writing here? Upbeat, am I using major chords? So did you have to wrestle with that at all, David? Well, the song really started from a bass line, and it's, you know, so a, a lot of the songs on this record come from uh, a lot of really this deep kind of groovy, um, soulful, soul-led kind of bass lines that kind of predict where the chords are going to take it. And it, mm-hmm. a lot of it is, uh, it's, it's blues-based, um, a lot of minor chords, so I was definitely in a minor kind of mood for most of this record um and so that and the baseline did dictate that it would be a a minor kind of key for this one um but that's not necessarily saying that it's going to be a negative song or a a sad song or anything like that but i do want to leave it open for interpretation because Mm. it could like you said i mean it could be a good thing or a bad thing but the listener kind of has to choose Wow. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, before we move on, here's a question for the audience instead of for David. Folks, ask yourself, are you obsessed with albums? Dissecting them, listening to them over and over again, listening to people talk about them. If so, then the greatest album of all time podcast is the podcast for you. Music lovers Derek and Gia Smith pick a famous album each week and discuss it at length and decide if it should be in the talks of greatest album of all time. They take a deep dive into each album, have special guests, and a whole lot of fun on this podcast. Check out the Greatest Album of All Time podcast on Spotify and Podbean. You will be hooked. David, you've done so much with so many other artists, but now, finally, lo and behold, you're coming out with your first solo album this year. What made you decide to do so? When will the album be out? How many songs will be on the album and so on (laughs) yeah um this is has been a journey that i've been on for decades really um and it finally just needed to happen i couldn't hold it back any longer 
So, um, you know, I think I've, I think that there's been fear, you know, to mm. be totally honest. Um, wow. you know, it, it's, it's easier to be behind the scenes, um, you know, helping other people be in the spotlight. Um, and I, I felt very comfortable that way as a music producer. But I think that it was really what, you know, people refer to as a shadow career, um, which means that, you know, you're, you're doing, you're living your dream through somebody else who's doing the actual dream. Mm. Um, and so I, I kind of got frustrated with that, you know, running a record label is really awesome. Um, and, and dealing with artists is one of, and collaborating mostly songwriting wise is one of my greatest passions but with the the change of what was happening in my life I just realized that I had something to say mm. um, I had emotions to get out that were actually maybe could help other people um, definitely were <laughs> helping me kind of express what I was going through um, and so that was really the the big driver you know if i can write music that can help potentially help other people or at least be able to have people you know explain something that they might not be able to put into words well but i'm also hearing how personal it is for you that you're saying i do write songs for and with other people but in this case these were personal messages of my own that only i could perform as the artist and really communicate the emotion of what I've experienced. And so that to me sounds like one of the other entries on this list. I'm sure another entry on the list is people would ask me for years, when are you finally going to do your own thing? And you probably said, when am I going to do my own thing? I'm so busy helping everyone else. Bruce, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I find I'm still finding ways to, you know, work on other people's projects instead of doing the things that I need to do for my own album release. Mm. But now I'm conscious of it. Now I'm like, wait a minute, where am I putting my time? Am I dedicating enough to myself? Am I listening to that inner voice that's saying, oh, it's not good enough? Or mm. who, you know, what right do you have? You know, wow. you're a guy in your 40s. Why are you putting out your first record? Wow. You know, um, but then I take that and spin it back around and I say, wait a minute, why shouldn't I be doing this? Why can't I be, yeah. you know, somebody who's changing their life like this and maybe try to inspire other people that are, you know, waiting to do this too? Yeah, I love it. So, okay, so then have you looked in the mirror and said, I need to really challenge myself and put a hard and fast date on the calendar? Do you, do you know when the album will be out or is it just kind of stay tuned sometime in 2021 and, and back to one of the other questions I had asked, do you know how many songs will be there? I guess what stage is it at? Is, is everything recorded? Oh yeah, it's done. It has been done uh, for several months now. Um, we're just, I've assembled an amazing team. Anybody who I've asked to, to be part of helping put this out there has said yes. So I am just floored. Um, it just, so I'm riding this this high of like you know people that I know in the industry that are coming to support. So, you know, with that, there's a bunch of art that needs to happen, the graphic design, the um, the marketing stuff, and I've got all the, the radio campaign. I've got everybody on board. We have a date. We have a release date, which hopefully will stay at September 24. 
Um, and then the first single potentially in late June. Okay. So we still haven't figured that out exactly, but yeah, it's coming soon. So a month or a little more. Yeah. How cool that it's September 24th, four days before my birthday. And for the audience's benefit, David and I were finding all kinds of commonalities before I pressed record. And this is me sitting down in Tampa, Florida and him being northwest of Los Angeles, so clear across the country we'd never met before, and yet the music world, as he and I were discussing, you end up finding six degrees of separation or whatever it ends up being, and in this case, he just happens to be putting out his first album four days before my birthday, so amazing, amazing connections. Fantastic. Yeah, wait, do you know Kevin Bacon then? How do we we connect through him? Probably, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Spend some time with it. Well, so for the audience, that is David Franz, the artist that you've been hearing as we've been talking about the song and this album that he's putting out. But as I hope you're starting to get a sense, he is by no means, quote unquote, just a musician. David, you actually write, produce, and engineer. That's correct. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, recording ever since I was a kid, my, my parents, the, the greatest gift they ever gave me, I think, as a young kid was a, one of those simple little cassette recorders. <laughs> and I've been recording ever since, you know, funny conversations, jokes, stand up <laughs> comedy tapes off of, you know, when they used to play full albums at midnight when I grew up in Pittsburgh and I would tape the, the radio shows and wow. stuff like that. And wow. And then, yeah, it just grew from there, and then four-track recorders, and then ultimately leading to Berklee College of Music, um, where I studied music production and engineering, and then that just blew everything up. So, mm. yeah, it's just I learned so much there, and it was I was like a giant sponge. It was amazing. Yeah can't say enough about that place well and we haven't even reached the halfway point of this episode and are talking about so many different hats that you were already but in addition talk about founding a record label yeah so that's been a gradual process so it started um while i was at berkeley college of music when i produced my very first uh artist this guy came in to do a song and he really wanted it to have like a a britney spears production kind of that was you know hot at the time and so we worked on this song and he was 15 and he was it was great and it was you know I worked on it in my tiny little Boston apartment and when we finished he gave me a hundred dollar bill and I still have that hundred dollar bill in a plastic frame that I'm like this is the first money I've ever made from music production i'm keeping this no matter how poor i am (laughs) you know i'm not getting rid of this oh cool so and that just you know started a a little production company in boston i had a little studio ultimately and um underground sun was born in boston in like 2002 2003 time period i started working with artists different bands um and kind of grew it into a um, an artist, what I called an artist development company. And then when I finally got out to California, it kind of turned into a record label, and that's sort of the progression. Um, and the, the reason it changed, because um, production, like a production house, is more about just finishing the music, mm-hmm. at least the way that I look at it mm-hmm. or define it. And then artist development was where I started to bring in some of the other marketing tools 
um, helping with Kickstarter campaigns and, you know, helping artists kind of get off their feet a little bit or onto their feet rather <laughs> or off their feet. That'd be fun. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, the record label was, then it becomes like a full service kind of situation where you help with video production and, and really the whole package to try to help artists get their, their name out there and their music out there. Well, but really it sounds to me just like with putting out this solo album this year where you had done so much with so many other artists for so long and decided it's finally my time. I need to just put my own recording out there. It sounds like the same thing was taking place in that you helped this 15-year-old, you get that done, then you kind of start having a little bit of a production studio, you start to do some writing, some producing, some engineering, and all of a sudden you're you're again taking that step back and saying look at everything I'm doing. I think it's a logical progression to this point that I should just form a label. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's always been something, you know, as, as a kid, like, I mean, I would look at the, the liner notes and wonder about what all that stuff was. Hmm. And, you know, I had such a fascination with like sun records and some of the old school, um, you know, back when the recordings were first getting started and a lot of blues r- records and stuff like that. And I, so it just, that's where underground sun came from, where I was like, I want something iconic that goes back to the roots mm. of, you know, recording and, uh, studios and like the original studios and, and, and the first record labels and stuff like that. But then the underground part was, part of my studio in Boston was literally underground. So that was <laughs> part of it. But you know, the, the theory or the, um, you know, the word underground means a lot when you're talking about music because it's like stuff that people haven't heard yet Yeah, and it's bubbling up, it's coming up from the underground. So that's where, that's where it is. It's the tie of those two, two things. Well, but I also think if you don't mind my putting my own interpretation on it, just getting to know you in this little bit that we've been talking, I think there's also a sense of, I'm not going to be what the major labels are, not so much in terms of success and dollars and cents, but I'm going to have my own model here. I have my own beliefs, my own ideas, and my own vision for what this should be. So it's sort of an underground project in that respect, as opposed to, okay, I guess if I'm going to launch a record label, I have to follow the traditional model, and I have to try to be like all the majors out there. Bruce, that is exactly right. Um you know, I always touted what we did as way more artist friendly than the major, major record labels. I mean, you've, you know, you've been in the business for quite some time. You, you probably know, you hear that like artists make 10% of the income that they generate, you know? Um, and I was like, what, this is not right. You know, let's get it to a place where everybody's sharing the way that it should be. Mm. So most of my deals, with underground sun are basically 50 50 as long as we're both putting in 50 50 you know 50 percent of the effort then we should split everything 50 50 yeah yeah wow wow so let's just find out here you talked about what you did in boston and then you said when i got out to california so what caused that move what what made you go from boston across the country to where you are now well uh several reasons and I'll start with the simple one and then I'll get into a heavier one. (laughs) 
Um, the first, basically, I got to at my level in Boston, like my level of production, I had reached kind of a, a, a high mark of where I said, okay, my records now sound as good as what I think could compete with stuff that's coming out from LA, wow. that's coming out on major record labels. Wow. And it took a while to kind of get there and sure. hone my craft. And sure. so I felt more comfortable. Um, and, and then actually it's funny. Um, I did a list. There was a, it was like 2008, 2009 when I was thinking about strongly getting out of Boston, partially due to the weather as well. But I looked at my list of friends where I have like contacts in the music business. Hmm. And it was something like 10 people in Boston and like 80 people in LA. Wow. So I was <laughs> I'm like, why am I here? This is, you know, I need to be out there with all my people and the sunshine. Yeah, why am I here in the cold with my 10 friends, my 10 music friends? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I had been meaning to move out to L.A. right after I finished Berkeley. But some very mitigating circumstances happened that, uh, that caused me not to go. And that was, uh, well, can I, can I tell the story? It's up to you. Yeah. It's up to you. I don't know. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, I get kind of goosebumps and, and tingles, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. Um, so I had finished Berkeley. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't actually technically graduate from Berkeley because I still have to take the pro tools class. Um, but I was <laughs> writing the book while I was at Berkeley. So I'm like, I'm not going to pay for that course. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I finished my studies at Berkeley and I'm, I'm planning to move out to Los Angeles and be a, a studio runner. And so I'm, I'm kind of biding my time in Boston to kind of get, get out there. And so I'm, and at this point I'm super poor. I have no cash. And so I'm like, all right, how am I going to get out there? Let me find a flight. I need the cheapest flight. And at that time, you know, it was Tuesday to Tuesday with a Saturday stay. It was like the cheapest way you could go. So I go online. It's August of 2001. And I say, okay, Tuesday, September 11. What do we got? What are the cheapest flights? And uh, so I go in there and it's American Airlines, 8 a.m. from Boston, direct to L.A. is the cheapest flight, like two or 300 bucks. I'm like, oh, that's... That's good, but uh, that's really early. And where I was living, it would I would it would have taken me four hours to kind of get to the airport. Whoa! So I didn't want to get up at four a.m. and I'm like, I'm gonna sleep in. I'm a rock star, you know. <laughs> so let me let me see what else we got. Okay, we got an eleven o'clock direct flight from L.A. to Boston. Okay, that sounds good. It's a little bit more money, but it's okay. So click purchase. Didn't think about it. Uh, the, the week before the flight, I'm telling all my friends and family, you know, I'm on a direct flight in the morning from Boston to LA. I can't wait to, to get out there. I've got all these interviews set up with production companies and studios and hmm. stuff like that. I'm so excited to go. So I wake up the next, you know, on Tuesday, September 11th to a call that says, oh my God, you're alive. Call your mother. And then the phones went dead. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is, what's going on here? 
clearly I see the news and we didn't learn until several hours later, but that flight, that 8 a.m. flight from Boston to LA was the first plane into the first tower. Mm. And everybody in my family and all my friends, except for the one person who called me, knew or thought that I was on that flight and they couldn't reach me. Mm. So, you know, for uh, until about 6 p.m., the phones didn't work. Wow. And so my family, my friends, you know, and, and, you know, for so many millions of people, it was the worst day of their life. And I feel, I still feel so, so much about that. Um, but for me, it actually was the best day of my life. One, you know, I lived, but two, at 6 p.m., I started getting all these phone calls. Oh my God, you're alive. I love you. Like stuff that you don't even hear on your birthday. Like, hmm. you know, just passionate, the most heartfelt messages that you could ever get. And I just got such an outpouring of, of these calls of all these people that, you know, thought I was gone. And, uh, I, <laughs> I just, uh, I still get kind of shaky about it. Um, but it was such a powerful, powerful day. I call it my surprise love day. Mm. <sighs> and, um, but what happened after that was I didn't go to LA. The entire trip got canceled. I obviously, I didn't move to LA. The whole world didn't know what was going on. Mm. And Berkeley, even just that week said, Hey, why don't you stick around and, write an online course. We're starting this online school, like the first one ever. Why don't you create a course based around your Pro Tools book oh for my us? Gosh. And I said, okay. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. I needed to stick around Boston a little bit longer. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> yeah. I just want to pause here, and I know this is an audio podcast, so you can't stare into the screen and watch me on YouTube just sitting there in, in deep reflection. But what you said, I, yeah. I don't want to overlook that because that was powerful in more ways than one. And I got to be honest with you, if, if I'm really being transparent and authentic with the audience here, it's really making me do a self-audit. I'm trying to be the best host I can, and I'm trying to listen to you, David, everything you're saying. But... I'm thinking of the people that mean so much to me and that I think know that they mean so much to me, but I'm doing some reflection right now and thinking, do I need to do a better job at that? So it's amazing that there's a life lesson all these years later that we can gain from something that happened so long ago. And it's also fascinating to me that it not only delayed you from moving, but ended up turning into this opportunity that who could have foreseen that? And I mentioned back in the intro that David is the author of Producing in the Home Studio with Pro Tools, which is the first book about using Pro Tools. Before people say, no, man, I've got a couple books on Pro Tools. This guy isn't the first. I want the audience to understand this isn't something you just put out. This was the first book about using Pro Tools. You put it out back when you were going for your second bachelor's degree. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. 
just yeah focus but i mean that's sort of the story of my life is trying to do too much all at once so <laughs> Um, but thank you for saying that about the the nine eleven story and and pausing to to share love. That is that is definitely the biggest lesson. And um, yeah, I think about it pretty much daily. To wow. be honest, like wow. it's you know, and it it definitely ramps up in September. I kind of like sure. ugh, just like there's some a tangle. And um, but every time I tell the story too, it's just oof, man. I just but yeah, I uh, thank you. For, for that and I know Absolutely. we all probably have been affected by that that day in our own ways and so absolutely know, sharing the love yeah. yes well speaking of your college days you switched from studying industrial and systems engineering to a music career early on what yeah what are some parallels and differences between the two fields I'm curious parallels and differences okay so problem solving is definitely the biggest uh parallel. Uh. And I think that the engineering school originally helped with that, analyzing a problem, trying to figure out where you can fix it. And, you know, industrial and systems engineering is a lot about making efficiencies. Mm. And so that is, you know, kind of always in my brain, like, how can I do this process a little bit better? Wow. Um, yeah. And that applies to audio engineering and producing songwriting, you know, in its own little ways. So that was that was definitely helpful. And on the technical end, too, you know, kind of understanding how systems work and like, you know, lear learning Pro Tools. Like, I think that my engineering background helped with that a little bit, having uh. had to use like CAD software and other other things like that, um, statistical analyses and stuff like that. So. so dare I say that one of the differences is, however, in industrial and systems engineering, you're getting up and working a nine-to-five job. And as you said before, as a musician, you're going, oh, I ain't getting up at 4 a.m. I'm just getting home at 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> I have ne – yeah, exactly. I tried a nine-to-five situation sitting in a, you know, a cube, and I could not do it. I was so unhappy, and I got out of it. I've never had a, a work in a, an office – job my entire life mm. so not for more than a few months so, <laughs> yeah i'm a work from home like figure out my uh, i mean i'm i'm organized and, and dedicated and 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 i will put in all the time and work sure. hard but i definitely don't need to be on a nine to five like schedule yeah. in a cube yeah, yeah with the boss it. telling you to email you or to email the boss your weekly report on friday my my TPS report exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm joined today on the Now Here This Entertainment guest line from northwest of Los Angeles by entrepreneur, producer, engineer, multi instrumentalist, performer, and educator David Franz. Visit his official website at davidfranz.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. You heard him talk about founding a record label. Check out the website, too, for that part of what he does, undergroundsun.com. I'll post a link to that site as well. The record label, you'll see, has a wide presence on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. David Franz is on Spotify, so do find and follow him on there. Also look for David hosting both Underground Live and The Mixdown on the Underground Sun official YouTube channel. And, of course, keep up with him online 
to get word of when the new album and the new single releases as he's been discussing. Some of you might have come to this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment specifically just to hear David. Thank you, but I hope you and even other listeners who are fairly new will check out other episodes of my show and, of course, that you'll hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven-plus years, so do check out some of the 380 episodes that have preceded this one and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday David, I know that you actually have a connection to a few of the people that I've had on. Cliff Goldmacher, we talked about off the year, Natalie Gelman, and probably even some others. That's true. Yeah, it was really nice going through and, and learning more about you and, and what, you, what you're what you doing um, and where you're coming from and being down in Florida. You know, I definitely have some connections down there. I saw that you had Sam Wolf on your show and he worked with one of my good friends uh, named Del Couch, who has a studio and um, uh, a foundation down there. Um, it's called the Manatee School for the Arts. Um, we, he was my student as a, a Berkeley online professor. Oh. Um, he came in and and then he hired my band, the Bleeding Bleedings, to come down <laughs> and play in Palmetto oh my uh, gosh. for the Fourth of July. Yeah, so that was that was pretty that was really fun. And, uh, yeah, we've stayed in touch ever since. He's yeah, a, Sam Wolf is in the Sarasota-Bradenton area, which, in the grand scheme of things, is really not that far from me at all. You're talking maybe an hour, which, in this part of the world, in this part of the state of Florida, driving an hour one way for something you just really don't even think twice about, just like you out there in the greater Los Angeles area. <laughs> right. You might go two miles, but it'll well, take you two true, hours. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, David, back in the intro, I mentioned that you work with artists across numerous genres. As we all know, there is more and more and more emphasis being put on diversity these days, which is even important in the music industry, too. For sure. Yeah. Um, so many issues have come up um, and, and uh, you know, microscopes have been put onto them in this past year plus. Um, all for the good. I mean, obviously the actions that, you know, have caused them are absolutely horrible, but the fact that um, the conversation is much more open and that people and companies are doing a lot more about it is thankfully there's, you know, some positive outcome from it. No doubt. Because it's been way, way, way too long. No doubt. No doubt. Well, selfishly, I would love to hear all about your involvement with LinkedIn Learning, but for that matter, also how it has coincided with your music career and Underground Sun. Sure, yeah. Um, funny enough, LinkedIn Learning was uh, actually lynda.com before it got bought by LinkedIn Learning. Lynda.com was founded in Ojai, which is where I live right now. Wow. Um, and the founders, um, Bruce and Linda, phenomenal, awesome people. Um, yeah, they started it here and they brought me in, um, as a, as an author, um, to write courses about Pro Tools and other music production stuff. And then, um, their CEO at the time, uh, Eric Robison, um, brought me on as the content manager. I kind of talked him into the job and I'm glad he gave it to me. <laughs> but, um, 
again, you know, like content management, content managers until uh, they kind of created the position at Linda didn't really exist. Um, kind of like the job that I had before at, at teaching at Berkeley with an online school, that job really didn't exist until they made the company. Mm. So it's been kind of cool to be on the forefront of that and getting jobs that just didn't even exist. Like you couldn't put a resume in for these things. They just kind of materialized. Mm. <laughs> so, um, now they're, you know, standard stuff, but um, it's kind of cool to be on that. But then, yeah, so Linda got bought by LinkedIn and then they basically, um, and for a little background, lynda.com created video training about anything that you can think of um, from business to tech to creative. You know, if you want to learn how to shoot better photos or use how to uh, learn how to use Excel or, you know, learn how to program in Python, we can do all that stuff. Wow. And uh, so they got bought in 2015 and LinkedIn has since kind of taken Linda, created a complete uh, copy of it and then added a bunch of features and now it's LinkedIn Learning. Um, and it is, yeah, I mean, we have 16,000 courses. Wow. Um, definitely a leader. You know, we're working with, I mean, a huge percentage of Fortune 500 companies have our training, tons of universities. And um, yeah, we it's it's been very cool to see it rise. And then LinkedIn, you know, got bought, bought by Microsoft. So technically I'm a Microsoft employee, which is <laughs> weird. But <laughs> So how have you been able to, coincide all of this with your music career and with underground sun yeah that's uh that's the secret sauce right there um <laughs> which you know <laughs> balancing all of that has been has been challenging but um again it's you know it kind of harkens back to the industrial engineering thing where i try to be efficient mm. as much as i can on on both sides but yeah it's two full-time jobs really wow um so and I've always been sort of a workaholic, unfortunately. Um, so I will, you know, do nine to five-ish hours and, you know, maybe take a meeting here and there during the day. But then, you know, once five o'clock it hits, then it's record label music until 2 a.m. So when it's, so. when your title is the content manager for audio and music, does that mean that you are overseeing people who are creating that content or you are the content manager because you're the lead content creator? Great question. Um, it's, it's more about talent acquisition. So I went from being an author to hiring other authors to make content. I see. So a content manager, yeah, creates the vision like, hey, we need to have a course in this. We need to have a course in that. This is a new software. This is a new trend. Uh, let's let's go find an author that can teach about this. Okay, okay. Well, we are winding down May, which has been Mental Health Awareness Month. I would just love to hear your perspective on how music helps people heal. Oh, uh, so wow! Thank you for that question. Um, one, I well, I can speak really uh, directly to looking yourself in the mirror and, and, and the, the inner voice that is talking to you all the time. That has been the biggest thing that I've kind of dealt with during the pandemic. I think a lot more people have been dealing with that as well and figuring out that there are ways to quiet the negativity 
that's in there because that affects everything that you're doing. Um, it's a, I think it's a, one of the biggest keys to mental health is changing the narrative that you tell yourself. And a few of those things are, you know, like, would you say the things that you say to yourself to other people? Hmm. If not, why are you saying them to yourself? Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And, you know, one of the books that I've read during the pandemic that has been a life changer too, has been, um, the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. Hmm. I learned so much in that, in that book. Oh my gosh. Just, you know, I'm underlining things almost every page, Hmm. but it, it really all, comes back to, you know, having some self-love, some self-compassion, compassion for other people. And if you can have compassion for other people, but you can't have it for yourself, then that is, that's where this, this inner voice, you know, can perpetuate a bad story about you. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. Before I have you talk about another one of your songs that I'm going to play, I was told to ask you about internet trolls. I'm curious to hear you talk about this topic. Whoa. <laughs> trolls oh my goodness uh okay well i i do have a kind of a funny story about that i i when i put out my first book the you know the pro tools book amazon was just starting you know just taking off and it was like the thing the hot thing and so you get you get your book up there and then people can comment on it right sure and this was kind of a new thing, like back then. It was 2002, 2001, actually, 2001. My book actually came out on September 11th, 2001. Wow. Not the best day to release something. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so, you know, the first, I'm excited the book's out. I'm like, yeah, it's on Amazon, and, you know, it's selling. I can see that there's numbers. And then the first comment shows up. And it's just a negative, oh, it just cut me to the bone. It was, I don't think the guy actually read the book. I don't know how he could have read the book to say the things that he did. Mm. But it still just crushed me at first. I I, I was like, this is what the first thing that anybody who looks at my book online is going to see. This guy's negative review. And that was, that was definitely life, a life lesson right there where it's, you know, that you can't let that affect you. Like somehow you have to either not read it or just take it as like, you know, this is, you know, not, not cool. Or the way that I kind of look at it now is like, I just feel bad for folks that are, Mm. that are doing that like on purpose and I, I I have compassion for them because they're coming from some kind of hurt place yeah yeah so yeah but it applies to the music industry because it's the same people who are posting those same type of hurtful pointless comments on artists music videos that they spend a lot of time creating yeah I mean you know there is a, a place for critiques right if it's if it's intelligent or if it's, you know, if you want to ask a, or, or challenge a point that was made or something like that. But if you're just spewing negativity, that's just not helping anybody. And it doesn't, even if, if for some reason, if you post something like that, you think it makes you feel better in the moment, it ultimately doesn't. So it doesn't do anybody any good. 
Agreed. Agreed. We're going to close today with another one of David's original songs, one called My Greatest Enemy. David, before I let you go and I play that single, share with the audience all about this song, if you would, please. Yeah, so this is the sort of a, a big culmination of the one of the biggest lessons I learned during the uh, pandemic, and, and it's the looking in the mirror and not liking what you see, which is the story that is perpetuating in your head. Um, a negative, negative speak and trying to change that narrative, trying to change how you perceive yourself, or at least just like quieting that voice. And the way that I'm dealing with it now is like, if those negative kind of like reactionary habitual kind of negative voices come in, I'm like, Hey, you're not welcome here anymore. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I know you're there, but I'm not going to let you impact me as much as you have in the past i like it and that's what this song is about i like it Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we wrap up david and i mentioned some past guests that were on this show all good people and all very much deserving audience of your time of listening to my interviews with them so i will put links to those interviews on david's show page as well but david in the meantime it's been really great having you on the show thank you so much for making time for now here this entertainment i really enjoyed quote unquote meeting you and having this conversation bruce i'm so grateful i really enjoyed every second of it thank you so much for for this and for what you've done with all of your podcasts i really appreciate it thank you thank you that means a lot i appreciate it And listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to entrepreneur, producer, engineer, multi-instrumentalist, performer, and educator David Franz. Visit his official website at davidfranz.com. And again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. During our conversation today, you heard him talk about founding a record label. Check out the website, too, for that part of what he does undergroundsun.com I'll post a link to that site as well the record label has a wide presence on social media Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram David himself is on Spotify so do find and follow him on there also look for David hosting both Underground Live and The Mixdown on the Underground Sun official YouTube channel and as I mentioned before keep up with him online for more developments as he releases his new solo project this year. I mentioned this earlier, it bears repeating. Some of you might have come to this episode of NHTE specifically just to hear David. I thank you for that, but I hope you and even other listeners who are new-ish will check out other episodes of my show, and of course that you will hit the subscribe or the follow button wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. There have been a lot of great guests over the last seven-plus years So do check out some of the 380 episodes that have preceded this one and stay with me for a new episode every Wednesday. For now, that will do it for episode 381. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from David Franz. This is the one he just talked about called My Greatest Enemy. Not the reason 
future.